What population is an important part of the church membership, but ignored until it's too late? What department is always looking for volunteers and has seasoned leaders burnt out and discouraged? If you said youth and young adults, and that department is youth ministry, then I have to say that I completely agree with you. My name is Eric Jean-Baptiste, and welcome to Youth Ministry and Mentorship 101. Here, we discuss all the difficult and rewarding work that is engaging with youth and young adults today. We do that by having open conversations with those in this field at every level in the church today. So, let's not be silent. Let's join in the conversation. All right, everyone. I am graced by the presence of Sister Mitsuka here on Youth Ministry and Mentorship 101. How are you doing today, Sister? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm always excited to talk to um, influential and uh, interesting young people such as yourself uh, and your your uh, enthusiasm in youth ministry. So. Um, Let's get right to it. Could you tell us about yourself and, you know, what you're doing in ministry now? Yeah, so I'm Mitsuka, obviously, as was said, I'm 23 years old. Um, outside of ministry right now, I'm a law student. Um, I'm in law school currently. I just completed my first year. I'm starting my second year in August. Um, and aside from that, I'm basically a singer. Um, that's what I do in church. I'm a singer. I work with in the youth department of my church. I run the social media for my church as well. And um, obviously, I have my own ministry called Passions Purpose, which I sing under. I've been a soloist ever since I was the age of three years old and have been singing in the mainly the Haitian community, but I've been branching out and receiving invitations to sing in other communities lately. Um, also, in ministry, I am, like I said, an artist. I usually hold my own concerts. We had an annual concert called the Passions Purpose Concert. The, second, the first year was my debut concert. The second year was the multicultural concert where we had many different nations come together um, for one purpose of praising God. This year, we're not having one, unfortunately, because I was in law school and couldn't plan anything. Mm. But those are basically the things I do in ministry. Aside from that, I mostly do um, different speaking engagements, you know, having to do with topics that affect the youth. So I've previously been invited to speak to the youth about um, daddy issues and how they deal with that. Um, and obviously I was invited on RPRL in order to speak about the way we lack transparency in the church and how our relationships, how the church can affect our relationships. So that's basically what I do in ministry, just a little bit of everything, but mostly I'm focused on the youth and everything that I do. All right. All right. Um, just going a little deeper into what you just said, cause, uh, you are active in a lot of things, as you said. Um, you said you were invited to speak on uh, what topics was that again? Um, daddy issues. Daddy issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there was basically um, this young man by the name of Marlo Scott that was conducting a an event under the banner of the Northeastern Conference, and he was having it in this church in Connecticut. I I can't remember the name of the church right now, but it was basically supposed to be a whole day that kind of disrupted the the natural order of the worship schedule that we would follow on Saturdays. And um, rather than having Sabbath school, 
there were these group there were these groups that everyone broke out into so there were different rooms in the church and different spaces in the church and each of them had to do with a topic um some of them was marriage some of it was homosexuality some of it was daddy issues which um, myself and my boyfriend presented and um a whole bunch of other topics and basically the format was all the, the, the presenters would be in each of these rooms and everybody would circulate. So we would spend maybe 30 minutes in the room and then after that they would go to the next room. And then eventually once everybody went through the different, um, through the different rooms and through the different topics, then we met together to do worship. Um, so that was basically the topic that I presented at that time, but it was definitely a phenomenal program. Wow. Um, it's something I've, I've um, kind of noticed especially in this field of mentorship uh, with women in the church. Uh, the Seventh-day Adventist church is, m the majority is women. It's, it's, yes. It's, it is women. Um, sure so, is. So um, I, could you go a little, like, just give us, like, a little tidbit of what um, women with daddy issues are facing in the church today? So essentially what I presented on and even what I've learned about the topic is that a lot of people minimize or they don't understand the impact that a father can really have in a child's life. Um, an absent father, a present father, these two different things, they affect how a child not only views themselves, but one of the things I focused on in the presentation was how it alters the way we view God. Now, me, myself, you know, my parents are still married. However, my, my situation was very particular in the sense that I was born in the United States. Um, and then I went back and forth between the United States and Haiti until I was three years old. Then I lived in Haiti from age three to seven years old. But while I was living there and going to school there, I would always spend my summers in the United States. And then eventually at the age of seven, I moved to the United States apparently, so permanently. So I basically spent many years not seeing my father and we never were able to develop that relationship because um, I think he may have also felt as though like his child was taken away from him in a sense, even though at the time, the reason I came and lived here was because, you know, Haiti was going through a lot of political instability and my grandparents thought that it was safer for me to come here and live with them. And my mom agreed, my, my dad didn't really agree, but you know, he made the sacrifice. But although he made that sacrifice, he didn't really know how to deal with it. And because of that, we became very distant. We would barely speak out, could spend months not talking to my father. And I felt as though he was very absent, which affected me because I felt as though I did not have a father there. Although my parents are still married, and technically he's still my dad like i did not have any emotional support and when a young woman is growing up in the church and whether it's outside the church as well and is going through her formative years entering into the teenage years which can be very stressful which can be very impactful everyone remembers the things that they experience during their teenage years the relationships that they go through and all of these different things and not having my father there i felt as though it it allowed me well it pushed me to have you know low self-worth i felt as though if i had the presence of a, a man in my life, there were certain decisions that I made when I was a teenager that I would not have made. He would have been able to teach me not only, it, it, it wouldn't even have to be actively, but in subtle ways or even indirectly, I would have learned the way a man should treat me from the way my dad was treating me. I would have learned um, to value the presence of a man because I experienced it from two different standpoints. You know, from being a teenager where I felt like I had very low self-esteem um, because I was relying on an external factor, you know, a guy to validate me. Um, moving to now where I'm in my 20s and I'm in a solid relationship, we've been together for four years. And in the beginning, my boyfriend will tell you this, that 
the issues that he found or the some of the problems that we had gone through early on in our relationship had to do with the fact that I didn't value the presence of a man because I didn't have the presence of a man actively in my life. So, you know, I was that woman that wanted to do everything myself. I was just like, you know, I don't like, I want you here. I don't need you, you know, and as a man that can be, um, that can be, I don't know what the word for it. That emasculating. Can be in a sense. Yeah, that can be definitely emasculating. And he experienced that. So he was the, he was the one that actually pushed me to reconnect with my father and build a relationship with my father again. And I remember when we were like six months in and I wrote this long text message to my father and I told him, you know, these are the things I've been angry at you for. I was mad at you for this. I was mad at you for this. I felt like you missed this. I felt like you missed, you missed that. And me finally opening up about these feelings allowed us to unpack a lot, like many years of anger, of disappointment, of misunderstandings um, that, you know, were a source in our relationship. And eventually, now we have a great relationship now, and that would not have happened if it was not for me understanding the, the impact that not having my father there had on my life. It had an impact on, like I said, my relationships. It had an impact on how I viewed God. You know, if we're supposed to view God as our father in heaven, you can never really understand what that means unless you have, unless you have a father figure on earth that can model that for you. And it's now having a great relationship with my dad, I'm able to see how a different side of him, how protective he is of me, how sacrificial he is. And these are all the different qualities that, you know, that we find in God, but I would have never understood that, or I would have never really believed that that's how God, that's who, that's who God is to us, unless I saw that merit in my father first. So I, I basically presented on that topic. Wow. Wow. Um, so that, that issue is um, something I've, I, I really like to delve deep into. It's, I think, mm-hmm. something that's really important in the church because, oh, yeah. um, the, the, like I said before, the majority of the church is women, mm-hmm. uh, at least 60%. Sometimes you could say it's even more. And yeah. uh, in leadership positions other than pastor, um, you're going to find 60, 70% women um, in leadership yeah. positions. And uh, unfortunately, even though we really emphasize the importance of marriage and family, we still have a lot of divorce and a lot of single parent homes. And um, so we have a lot of young women uh, with no father figure in their house. And what happens is in the church, they tend to look for a father figure. Um, Absolutely. And even uh, the ones that do have fathers in their household, sometimes their fathers are not emotionally present, which mm-hmm. might as well be the same as them not being there at all because it has the same effect. Wow. Wow. Um, and the reason I'm talking about this is because it's one of the things, it's one of the areas that I've seen in mentorship. Um, it's, it's something that's uh, important, but also it can be a little bit scary. I think a lot in oh, yeah. because when you have young girls um, looking for a father figure in men that are, you know, in leadership positions in the church, it gets a little scary because now people are wondering what's going on, especially when they get a little emotionally attached. Um, There was an issue um, in Florida with a pastor who was uh, basically grooming, as you can say, grooming young girls. Uh And he used that uh, position to uh, 
um, sexually assault them. So it was uh, an unfortunate thing. But um, the reason I'm bringing this up is because we have to be careful, but I think it's not something that we should run away from. Um, so that's why I was just bringing that up. Um, oh yeah, we should. Yeah, we definitely shouldn't run away from it. I feel like these conversations need to happen. It's not talked about enough, especially when, you know, when when the man leaves the household or there's no man in the household, the woman then feels as though they have to compensate for the man not being there, and they try. Women try their best, or single mothers try their best to make the child not feel as though the the presence of the father was needed. And although I understand the idea behind it, I was raised by very strong women. Um, I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt mainly, and I've been around strong women my whole life. I have not really been around men. So with me, when I think of power, when I think of strength, I think of a woman. Mm. But sometimes that can backfire because when a when a parent or when a woman in a household tries to, you know, emulate that strength, and obviously women are strong, but when they try to do it in a way that they try to make up for the presence of that man, then that can definitely alter the view that the child has of men going forward, which, wow. you know, has an, has, has an effect on, you know, like I said, relationships has an effect on the church as well, because if they if relationships are in danger and the relationships that we have with one another and we make up the church, the church is going to suffer from that as well. Wow. Um, so I just want a little, uh, just, one last thing I want to say is just, um, I, I think uh, mentors, you know, it, 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 it's, it's difficult and it's something we have to watch out and be careful and be cognizant and see how, but um, those women that, those young girls that are looking for uh, male figures, um, don't shy away from it. Um, be that example, but, you know, always be, why, you know, be aware of what's going on. Yeah, have healthy boundaries. <laughs> That's right. Healthy boundaries. Watch what you're doing. Um, but I, I, I think that's something that the church still needs more of, um, not to be afraid of it and, you know, continually leaning on God and not to shy away from it because it's, it's impactful. And um, a lot of, you know, uh, in my experience, a lot of young girls were, um benefited from me showing unconditional love in their lives so that's what i just wanted yeah, to say yeah i can only Sorry. imagine yeah so uh moving on um <laughs> not only with young women uh why do you think it's important to minister to young people in the church today well i i suppose the generic answer is the fact that young people are the church of tomorrow and that's what everyone hears However, that truly is one of the main reasons. You know, if, if we're working and investing in our youth today, then we're investing in a change. I feel as though a lot of people feel as though revolution has to occur sometimes within the church or like some type of rebellion has to occur in order for change to happen. But I think we undervalue the, the importance of being able to invest in the generation that's coming after us because once we do that, naturally change is going to occur it may not happen as quickly as we would want it to, you know, as we would want to see it. However, once those people grow up and they, they become in leadership positions, then they're not dealing with the demons that we dealt with back in the day. They're not facing the same situations, or if they are facing the same situations, they're better equipped to handle it. And once we're able to invest in the youth from that standpoint and be able to help them in that way, then we're 
changing the church of tomorrow in doing so. I love that word, uh, invest. I think it's something that it, it perfectly encapsulates what youth ministry is because uh, usually the reason we don't focus on youth ministry or we forget about the young people is because it's an investment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, young people, they're not working, they're not bringing in tithes and offering yet. So helping them become young leaders and empowering them is not going to affect the church's bottom line and all these things. And yes, they, they do bring baptisms. I, I know we, that's another reason when people get excited about <laughs> youth ministry is when it's time to get baptisms. That's when we get excited for them. But um, yeah, it's an investment. So um, yeah. I love that and, answer. And we definitely have to understand that because I feel as though the world understands it. I feel as though these, whoever is in charge of like all of these shows that young people will watch or even as, as you know, children as, as little as two or three years old that are watching cartoons, people understand how important it is to send messages to children starting at that young age because that literally, it, it has an impact on the way they grow up. It has an impact on their mindset, on the way they see things, which is why you'll see a lot of different initiatives and a lot of different movements that are occurring right now um, socially in the United States, you'll see that they're beginning to bring those movements into younger children's televisions or the media that younger children are consuming. And the world understands it because they know that at that age, a child absorbs everything. And the world is willing to invest into those children so that they can turn out the way that they would want, so that they can have the mindset they, that they would want them to have. So I feel as though as a church, we are responsible. We have this duty to do the same because we're literally in a fight with what the world teaches, which obviously isn't always faith-based, isn't always um, leading or pointing to Christ. So we have this responsibility to invest in our youth and invest in a way that would allow them to grow closer to Christ because the world is doing it and they're going in the opposite direction. So if the world understands it, then we should understand it as well. Wow. Um, Going along in that vein of that answer, you also mentioned that you are the social media manager for your church. Um, could you, uh, exp- what, what, first of all, what uh, church is that, by the way? So I go to get Gethsemane French SD in Brooklyn. I manage okay. the, social, the social media page for our youth department, okay. I should specify. Okay. And um, is that, so is it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube? It's on Instagram. It's um, Gethsemane Youth. On Facebook, it's the same. It's Gethsemane SDA Youth, I believe. Um, but yeah, I definitely manage it. It's, it's been hard. I've given up a lot of times with it. At some point, I used to manage the overall church's Facebook page. But I feel as though it might just be because we're in the Haitian community. It's been very difficult <laughs> trying to gain that online presence. But I do understand that with youth, you know, everything that we do right now is online. And even when I'm seeing other events from other churches, we know about them and we hear about them because they're posting it online. And I realized that my church was kind of placed in a bubble. And I felt as our youth, as though our youth were very secluded because a lot of the youth right now, you know, I'm in my 20s, but a lot of them are in their teenage years where they're still under the authority of their parents, mainly, which means they can't just go up and decide that they're going to go to another church. They can't do that. So if it's not other churches coming to them for them to be able to fellowship with other youth, if it's not these events that we're promoting to other churches to have people come in and partake in our youth events, then it's mainly going to be the youth with, within the church just being with themselves. And sometimes we don't receive the support from the adults. And I realized that it was truly important for us, for me to be able to manage the social page, get the word out there about the different events that we were having to increase the engagement 
that my church has with other people in the community, as well as other youth from other churches. Awesome, awesome. Um... You're now listening to Youth Ministry and Mentorship 101. Hey everyone, so that initiative by Pastor Chad Bernard is an initiative for youth ministries in the Michigan Conference. They'll be heading out to the Detroit area July 28th. I'm just repeating everything because I think it's an awesome initiative. And if you are interested in joining them, you just have to go to www.fieldwork, all one word, dot love. And you can register to be a participant in the event or maybe even give them a donation so that they can use those funds to help people in need better their homes, have better living arrangements and spread the gospel through evangelism and outreach in the community. This is a powerful initiative, so I hope you'll check them out and you'll give them a help that they so richly deserve and need to really empower our young people to help serve others so that website once again is www.fieldwork.love so hope to see you there july 28th now let's get back to the interview and this what you said uh i've experienced it many a time with many a haitian church (laughs) Um, i have helped many haitian churches with their facebook pages Uh, i've actually gone to haitian churches and 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 i have scolded elders and have said you this is not acceptable you must (laughs) have a facebook page immediately and then they would say things like well we need to go through board approval and all these things and i said listen we need to skip that red tape and we need to post right now what is happening in this church because you guys have a wonderful praise team you guys have wonderful young people and if they are being if you guys are proclaiming what you're doing uh, the community will see what you're doing as well. Because I think, um, like you said, you said the church was in a bubble. And I've seen that many a time where a, a church is like, they it's like a, a, a castle where they lower the drawbridge Saturday morning and then yeah. they r- raise, it, raise it up Saturday night and then it's just a castle, it's a fortress. So mm-hmm. um, in going in that vein, um, and also to give you a little tip as well, um, I would look at the social media as not primarily for the church itself. I would see it as for the community to see what your church is doing. So mm-hmm. it's not just telling uh, announcements and what's happening next Saturday. It's also showcasing what you've done, um, showcasing the people, telling the stories so that um Another rule of thumb I tell churches if I ever um, help them with social media is the Facebook page should have more likes than they are people in that church because that's how you know that it's not the people of the church that's liking the page. It's outside mm-hmm. people. And once you, that, so true. Yeah, once, once you get the outside people, then you don't have to worry about the, then Then now it's so big. Uh, which I've done with some churches that, they, they, you know, they, now they understand, like, they'll be like, oh, we, we shouldn't post anything. And I'll be like, listen, the audiences in Africa are going to be upset <laughs> that they're not getting what's happening in this church because they, they watch every Saturday. They want to know what's going on and all these things. And then they're like, oh, okay, all right. 
So, um, yeah. yeah. So that's my tip on social media. And for anyone who's listening, um, it's important. It's important. It's something the young people use and we need to be out on that media because it's yeah. not, and it's not just for the young people. It's what the outside world uses. So mm-hmm. not even just young people on the outside world, every generation on the outside world, that's where they're at. You don't knock on doors anymore as much. We still can, but what, <laughs> what people want to see is if you tell, and even if you knock on the door and you say, come to our church, Gethsemane French in Brooklyn, the, the majority of people, unless they're past the age of 60, after you, after you close the door, and they handed that flyer. The first thing they're doing is Googling you. Yeah, they're going to look you up. Yep. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So that, that's my little spiel on social media. <laughs> For anyone who is a social media manager of a Haitian church or any church, continue to post, be consistent, and use it to reach the community and not just inform your own church of what's going on. So, uh, right. yeah. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Now, uh, my next question is uh, going into, well, going still into the, the topic of Haitian churches. I've met with many young people on this podcast, and yes, a lot of them are from Haitian churches. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, it's my passion, it's, it's, it's my people, and uh, we'll talk about it. So let's, let's ask the question. How do you think church, Haitian churches are doing with mentoring and ministering to young people? Can I be honest? <laughs> Please, be I, honest. I think I think we're doing I think we're doing terrible. Okay, I'm I'm not exaggerating. I truly mean that. I think we're doing a very bad job, and I feel a lot of it comes from the culture that we like the Haitian culture for mentoring to occur. I feel as though there needs to be, again, like the, the, the thing that I had spoken about on the Real People Live show, there needs to be a level of transparency, one, from the people that want to be mentors. If you're not, I'm not saying that you need to be showcasing, oh, I do this, I do that, but you need to be able to be available and you need to have something of value that you can teach somebody younger than you or somebody that's less experienced than you. And unless they don't, unless they know what that is, then you can't mentor. And I don't know if it's in other Haitian churches, but in my church specifically, I've seen that a lot of people, they come to church, but ask, ask them what that person does during the, the week, what job do they do? And they will not be able to tell you, which is an issue because I feel as though we have things like LinkedIn and you know, networking is so huge now. And we don't realize that we have this network that's literally right here in front of us. Like my church is over 500 members and that's that's a whole network right there mm-hmm. if we were aware and if we were transparent with what we did or if somebody that knows they work in a specific a specific field and knows that there's a young person that would want to enter that field then provide mentorship if there's somebody that is married and they know that there's a young couple in the church who's been um dating for a certain amount of years and they're considering marriage they're considering engagement you need to be able to, you need to be able to, to be a mentor to those people and i feel as though because everyone in the in the Haitian community, maybe it comes from the Haitian culture where they want to hold their stuff to themselves. I know that a lot of people don't like talking about their blessings, don't like to talk about what they do for fear that people will be jealous and maybe do them harm. But I feel like that's a very old fashioned mentality that we need to get rid of because it's preventing us from mentoring 
younger people or mentoring people in the church. And I think a lot of other, a lot of opportunities that are open to us, we don't take it. Sometimes, you know, there is a person that we can provide mentorship to, but we, people in the church, they tend to act in a way that kind of ruins their own witness and then they're unable to mentor that person. And I feel as though sometimes mentorship doesn't even have to be so so structured. Sometimes it can happen organically. But I feel as unless we unless we begin to break those barriers of transparency, unless we begin to break those barriers of this formality that that seems to permeate a lot of Haitian churches, then it'll be really difficult for there to be an organic connection that occurs between our different members so that mentorship can occur. Uh, I'm gonna and I'm gonna respond by giving uh, just this little testimony story of mine because um, you mentioned it can happen organically. Uh, a youth leader came to me who was meeting with college students, um, maybe monthly or biweekly, just having lunch with them, uh-huh. and uh, she in a Haitian church. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're smiling. You're like, wow, wow. But here's the story. Here's the story. She came to me and she said, oh, elders approached her and said that uh, what she was doing was in violation of church protocol because that needed to be approved by the board. And then I told her straight up, I said, listen, what they told you is a fallacy. That's a lie. Yeah. It's not true because you are meeting with uh, young adults, these are 18-year-olds in college who are, um, are available to uh, make their own decisions. And even if they weren't 18, all you need to do is have the approval of the parent. And if they, uh, the parent says, yes, this leader may have uh, lunch with my daughter or my son, uh, and have a conversation, then it is permitted. You don't need church approval for that because that's what we, we forget. We forget that, uh, in fact, the, what I've noticed in mentorship, organic mentorship is actually the best. It's yes. actually even better because it's, that's where you have the, the real relationship and the compassion and empathy going both ways where the conversation is just true conversation. It's not, you know, a binder you're going through or a curriculum. It's, it's, um, how was your day? How was your week? How was school? And then when you have those natural conversations, uh, the mentorship can be great. So um, thank you for yeah, giving that inspiration. For sure. Yeah. And I feel as though, just, just adding one point, I feel as though if we, if we actually provided mentorship and got out of this idea that we're going to be living on forever, then mentorship would be able to occur much more frequently. I can't even tell you how many times I've had different moms or dads come up to me because they know that I sing and I'm an artist in the community where they say, you know, their daughter wants to sing and they'd like me to just, you know, practice songs with them. And I've gotten that so many times, but if you're not willing to get off your high horse, be able to prepare the way for somebody else because you feel like you're going to be here forever, this is your territory and you want to make it a monopoly style, then, then mentorship will never occur. We need that to happen. And I'm, I'm really scared for the state of our church because I'm, I'm feeling as though these leaders are not giving young people a chance to prove themselves. And so they're getting older and I don't know who they think is going to replace them. But if you keep shoot, you know, shooing away the youth and if you're not preparing the church of tomorrow, then the church may, may just fall apart. You never know. <laughs> wow. 
Um, and I've been saying this a lot because when uh, I interviewed some young ladies, some youth leaders, um, I was taken aback by this statement. They said, they keep saying on the pulpit that we're the church of tomorrow, but they treat us like the church of yesterday. Wow. So that's real. Yeah. When, when I heard that, yeah, I said the same wow, like you. <laughs> and um, I was like, oh my goodness. So uh, yeah. So anyone who's listening to this, don't be afraid to mentor and um, let's have that transparency and help our younger generation be the leaders that they are called to be. So going on to on with that, did you have mentors? And if you did, what is something a mentor has told you that sticks with you to this day? A mentor within the church? It can be within the or, church or outside of the church. Um, just seeing. Okay. You, yeah. yeah. I have not had mentors within the church, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, there's people that I consider mentor, like mentors in my head that I don't know personally, like they're online. <laughs> okay. So, but I consider them like my mentors in my head because they give great advice and all these different things. But personally, in my professional life, I've definitely had mentors. Um, I've had mentors in my personal life as well, you know, having to do with relationships. And I think one of the greatest things that I've ever been told by a mentor is to follow your own lane. They told me, follow your own lane, although somebody can give you as much advice as they can, only you know what's best for you and only God knows what's best for you. That's the advice that they gave me. And I felt as though that was so important because oftentimes I believe that people may have an idea of mentorship in, in their brains where they believe that when you find a mentor, then the goal is for you to eventually take the same exact path that your mentor took to get exactly where they are. And truly, of course that can happen. If you want it to happen that way, it can happen, I'm sure. However, I feel that like that robs you of, your, of having your own experience. The mentor is here to guide you. They're not here to make you follow the same exact steps they did. Some of the steps that they took, you can definitely take just so that you don't have to deal with the issues that they did or fall into the pits that they might have fallen into. However, although somebody is your mentor and you look at them as a guide, they're just that, a guy. They're not supposed to be like this prototype or this copy that you're supposed to be following. And I think that's one of the most, the best advice that I've gotten because it's allowed me to understand the value of mentors and go to them when I needed to ask questions, when I needed help, when I was um, feeling discouraged about a certain thing. However, it also allows God to move in my life and also speak to me about my own direction. Because if I was just following this mentor alone, then I might have missed out on a lot of the opportunities that God had for me. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, in, my professional, um, in my professional career, I suppose, like being a law student and wanting to eventually become an, an attorney. I have a couple of mentors who are current attorneys. However, they've given me advice. And although they practice in the area that I wanna practice in, I don't necessarily have to do it the way that they did it. They might have practiced in intellectual property law, let's say but they went into um, being an independent lawyer, opening their own firm, while another person might have worked for you know, a firm or for an agency, while another person might have done in-house. But if I'm just following their own course, then if God wants me to take a semester doing health law, you know what I mean? Like currently the internship that I'm doing right now, I'm doing mental health law. And I truly believe that God literally orchestrated it in a way for me to get this experience. And although I'm saying I wanna do intellectual property law, and all my mentors are in the field of intellectual property law, it seems like God is taking me 
in a different direction. So although, yes, these mentors are very valuable to me, I feel as though if, if, if you follow what a mentor does there, every single step, then you don't allow God to move in your life. That's right. Yeah. So going back to the organic uh, as well, it's not, mentorship shouldn't be like that. That's more toward the coaching side, I would say, if it's Mm -hmm. curriculum and it's a step-by-step and all that thing. It's just basically growing with the person as, as uh, one of my mentors says, growing with. So you're seeing their, you're seeing their growth and then you're, you're giving little suggestions along the way. um, But it's not, needed to be done they can choose to do so but you're just there as a sounding board as someone that listens and gives advice but um sister mitsuka this was awesome powerful stuff thank you so much um thank you it was my pleasure yeah um in closing uh as we usually do on this podcast do you have any words of encouragement for those who are hearing the call of ministry and hearing the call to be a mentor in the Haitian church. Mm, that's hard. <laughs> that, that, that we need them. We need mentors in the Haitian church um, and, and all churches. Um, what, what words of encouragement could you give? Um, this is, I'm also speaking to myself when I'm saying this, but the word of encouragement that I would give is to make it less about you and more about the people that you are serving. And I say this because a lot of people like to use the title of mentor. I feel like I'm seeing a lot of people using this title. Oh, I have mentees. I have men. You know what I mean? And they may take it in a way where they have as followers in a sense, where it's not supposed to be that way. You have to view it in a way where you see that the mentees that you have, you are serving them. And once you're able to take that focus off of you, then it allows you to do to be there for them and do the work that will be valuable to your mentees. And I've even experienced this with my church where I've, you know, I'm this figure that people look up to. However, I've gotten discouraged when I've literally made it about myself. When I'm just like, you know, I'm frustrated with this. The church isn't cooperating with this. Like I'm, I, I deserve better. I don't need this disrespect. And when I make it about me, I'm more likely and I'm more prone to just decide, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. Like I give up. But if you literally make it about the youth that you're serving, if you make it about the population that you're serving, then that's, that's always your why. And once you make that your why, you can't lose touch with what the call is. Once you see that they need you, once you see that, you know, they are the church of tomorrow, once you see that they need this guidance, you will go to bat and you will go to war for them, you know, by any means necessary because you realize it's not about you. It's about what's coming after you. And it's about those people not experiencing what you experience in the church. So yeah, the, the advice I would say is make it less about you and more about who you're serving. Wow. Sister Matsuka, thank you so much. Uh, you are definitely a mentor. Uh, <laughs> mentoring those young people in your church and in your community. And we'll continue to pray for you and your ministry. Thank you. <laughs> it was great. So that's the episode, everybody. I hope it was helpful, informative, and most of all, inspiring. If you enjoyed this content and know of a church leader or any person who could benefit from this, stop hesitating and share it with them. Feel free to subscribe and please leave a review and a comment so we can use this platform to help serve each other better. 
So until next week, I'll see you right here at Youth Ministry and Mentorship 101, where we always say youth ministry isn't a stepping stone into ministry. It is ministry, period.